says the quality and quantity of original programming on streaming services is quite astounding, with A-list talent delivering high-class drama time and time again. One of Netflix's standout series of 2017 was The Astonishing Mindhunter. Overseen by David Fincher, it tells the story of how the FBI's profiling unit came into being in the 1970s. By turns dark, funny, moving, cool and brutal, it also makes great use of contemporary pop and rock. So it's with great pleasure that we welcome director Asif Kapadia to Soundtracking, the weekly podcast about screen music in partnership with the EE BAFTAs. Asif has already won several of those for The Warrior, Senna and Amy, with the latter scooping an Oscar for Best Documentary 2. There will of course be plenty of examples of Amy Winehouse's music throughout the course of our conversation, as well as composer Antonio Pinto's work on both Amy and Senna. But we begin with Mindhunter, for which Asif directed two of the ten episodes and composer Jason Hill's beautiful title theme. Asif, welcome to Soundtracking. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you. I don't know where to start with you, but we're going to start now, if that's okay. okay. Let's do that. Congratulations on Mindhunter and your involvement in it. I absolutely loved it. What a great series. Great. It's Good. just got such a specific pace and tone to it as well that allows... It allows you as an audience member, but allows the actors as well, I imagine, to breathe and really feel the character. It's really interesting to get the chance to talk to you because you're one of a number of directors who are part of the series. You would never know watching it. There's not that specific differences between the episodes that you go, oh, Fincher did that one or Asif did that oh, good. one. And so it's, <laughs> it moulds and blends beautifully. And all's held together by Jason's music. Do you have discussions amongst you all about the aesthetic, the sound, the music? The answer is yes, but there were four directors. Mm-hmm. There was David, who, the kind of creator of the show, did episodes 1, 2 and 9, 10. Andrew Douglas, who did 7 and 8. Mm-hmm. I did 3 and 4. Mm-hmm. And then Tobias did 5 and 6. So four directors. And Joe Penhall, who was a kind of writer, creator. Now, I had conversations before I came on board with... David about the kind of type of show it was going to be. Joe Penhall, who lives here, so it was easy to kind of talk to him. And he had been a real part of the development and creation. And David would sit down with him and with Tobias, I think, maybe Andrew as well, because Andrew lives in LA, about the show. And they watched films together and they scouted. I was the last to come on board. So I didn't get that kind of prep personally. I was on my own film. I was in the middle of kind of promoting Amy, I think, at the time. So I came along when already the kind of the look and the vibe and the scripts and the characters already had been created. I read the scripts, I read the Bible for what they hoped the show could become. 
David has a very particular way, a very technical way of working. Yeah. And when we had an interview in LA, he asked how I normally work and how I normally do my posts. And I now do a lot of my work on an iPad. I look at edits on an iPad. I make notes on my computer as I'm traveling or if I'm away, I can be on a plane, I can be on a train and I can be watching something and reacting. And he was like, perfect. <laughs> I later realized that's how he works. He's super, super, super technical. He has an app that he created. He invents things. David's a bit of an inventor. If you, wow. The camera that the show was shot on, he basically has invented. And he's told the company that makes the camera how the camera should work. He's always designing like how a frame should be done. I mean, it's really interesting. He's a very, very, very smart guy. And he's created this app which I have on my iPad on my phone, and I can see costumes here. I can see locations. I get the scripts all on there. I can listen to music on there. So all of this was happening as in wow. prep while they were shooting, before I shot, during my shooting, and everything would be available to me on a secure app. Yeah. And that's kind of how it worked. The Fincher app. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I come, once you're in, you've got access. And if you're not in anymore, you don't get access anymore. And that's kind of how it works. And that's also how you protect scripts from being handed out yeah. left on a tube whatever yeah, yeah, it may yeah. be so wow it's like a kind of super futuristic whatsapp type thing it's something it? called pics that he created yeah and it's all on there and you know everyone from the art department to the camera department to the sound everyone has access to it but they all have their own particular conversations that they can be having and if you're the showrunner, if you're David, then you can be part of all conversations or just specific ones. Yeah. So I would know what's going on in my episodes. But if I wanted to talk to the designer, that's the easiest way to do it, particularly if they're all in Pittsburgh in a different time zone yeah. and I'm in London and the editor's in L.A. So it's just how so shows clever. are made. Yeah. And if effects people are in another city, they may be doing visual effects or, you know, whatever it may be. And yeah. everyone knows what everyone is saying. It's not an individual email. So with regards to Jason Hill, for example, who's composer on the show, would that similarly be the similar case where he would be putting up things on there for you guys to listen to yeah. for, and conversations going on about what you required for edits and specific scenes? And things? I mean, the, the truth is that David is really good with music. I mean, you know, his history of kind of music video and everything that he's done and films that he's made and composers that he's worked with so I think this is the case where David runs a show he comes up with a look and the sound and, and works more so closely with the composers and then I react to thoughts and ideas that are put forward to my specific episodes yeah. But I don't necessarily know what might be happening in 5 and 6 mm. or in 9, 10 or 1, 2. Always. Sometimes I'll yeah. see an edit and I'll have an opinion. And sometimes if you're feeling brave, you'll give an opinion on something that you haven't directed, which I, you know, occasionally would do. And then sometimes it was just like, just worry about your own shows. And so that's kind of how it works. Yeah, so yeah. they were all out in L.A. And I, on this particular show, I didn't even fly to L.A. I ended up being there in Pittsburgh for a few months while we were shooting. And then I came back last Christmas in London and all yeah. the post was happening out there while I was reacting from here on my iPad. Wow. What about the specific tracks that are in your episode? Because you've got Feeling in the Dark, Directly Inspired, you've got Atlanta Rhythm Section, Bowie's in there as well. Yeah. And then there's th three other tracks in there. It's really interesting because that, I mean, the endings of the shows, I remember there were lots of things that were tried. It's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then it would be a conversation with like this one, don't like this one. Maybe this is a bit too this or not enough that. And then at some point they settled in and then like, it's got to be that. Taking it all the right way, it in the back. Taking it 
much so David has an opinion on what the track should or shouldn't be and then he works more closely with the composers. I was working much more on the edit and much more on the cut and trying to get that right yeah. and then getting the performances and primarily you know what you said right at the beginning hoping that if people start watching the show because it's David Finch's new show when I come along in episode three and four, because he did one and two, I don't want it to be like, oh my God, what's going on here? Who's this guy? <laughs> you know, just don't screw it up. That was my uh, simple note to myself was just make it so that people hopefully are not too aware That's of great. a change. And it just feels like it's the same show. But also I felt like because they'd shot the beginning and the end of the series before I arrived, we had the middle to shoot, Tobias yeah. and I. We had to, our scene, our episodes sort of linked together. So four, five, six feel like they're part of the same storyline. So I had to go from two, which is tonally, it's quite funny, the beginning of the series. It it's quite light. Clever. And then five, six is really dark. And three, four have to somehow take you from one place to the other place without you feeling like it's jarring. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. That was the challenge, I suppose. And I was quite, quite excited by it. I think it's really clever as well the way the music has been used because it doesn't feel like needle drops. For example, that total track Hold the Line that's on in the car when they're driving. All I can say is that every single track, there were probably 50 tracks that people suggested and tried. Yeah. should go into every department of a show you know but the music absolutely it really was never like oh right that works let's just leave it yeah it's like what about this no that's not enough what about this what about this no that's distracting or this works but it, the lyrics are too on the nose or you know what that might be better in episode nine and so there was a lot of work going across the episodes to mm. try to find a way for the show to develop finding the right period and the right version of a track and what was going to be reworked it was it was fascinating and again because it's a very kind of modern technical show it's all by notes that you get on this app yeah because uh, unusual but not that unusual for me now because i've done more and more of it it's literally you've got to learn how to express what you think about these music but it's just like how you put a note down yeah. which you know 500 people are going to read <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's kind of interesting is like sometimes when you're just talking face to face to your editor you'll say something or the composer yeah it's very different when you've got to write it and you send it and it's like okay this is like sending a tweet to the world you know you're sending something <laughs> out you. that everyone's gonna read and think really is that what you think interesting but it was fine it was cool and that continues through the art department the cinematography the design the performances you know that much work and consideration and thought david puts into everything so what happens is when you're shooting you're thinking like that you've got to put the absolute best in you can't phone in anything and um, musically it was the same thing yeah. the amount of effort that the editors and the composers put in sometimes i would see a note like i don't really i can't tell the difference really but i'm not seeing it but everyone else is obviously seeing it and then you realize no david just had that much more attention to detail on yeah. every aspect Is 
Is it easier to get music cleared for TV than it is for film? I don't know if it's easier. I just know you have to buy the track out. But if you've yeah. got the budget, you can afford to buy it. And I guess the way the world rolls, if you're in a hit show, a lot of people are going to stream that on Spotify the next yeah. day or they're going to be on Apple Music and they're going to want to buy that track. And so you'd be an idiot not to want to be yeah. part of a hit. You're going to make some money down the line. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, again, I don't deal with that. Yeah. I know how to do it on films. Yeah. And it's always a battle. But you are saying this piece of music, people may know it, but they may not have had it on their play. Playlist. Mm. You hear that in a show and you're like, I love that track. I think that's also the other thing about interesting about TV is that you can have the leeway to say you don't have to have the same piece of music at the end of every episode, so you can keep it. Yeah. It becomes an, a story element. Mm-hmm. It becomes a way of progressing the narrative, which and is almost really teasing. Cool. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. Almost as well. That Alan Parsons project track that's used at the end of one of the episodes is so good. Brilliant. Oh, you know, yeah. David does the 70s in a really cool 70s. It's not a cliche. So I remember, you know, with the cars and the locations, but also the costumes. You look at the costumes and go, if you really went full 70s, haircuts and costumes, it could become a parody. Yeah. And it's like, no, this is serious. Yeah. So it's just that, when do you tone it down? So working with the costume designers and hair and makeup to make it a very modern. Yeah. Because my wife was a designer and was in that world. And I remember when we were looking at it, her instinct would have been, is that's not 70s. Yeah. That tie isn't quite right. But then the ties would just be huge. Yeah. And it gets all a bit jokey. Yeah. Gets the anchor man. Yeah. And it wasn't <laughs> supposed to be that. And I think that's, I've been on films and I, I felt this is where I learned. It's like that element of how stylized is every mm-hmm. department. You want it to feel correct to the period, but you don't want to be kind of prisoner to the period or sway into like parody and jokes and anything that takes you out of the show. Yeah. And that was really interesting. And musically, it's the same. It's finding the right tracks that are of the period, but without being so obvious yeah. or too obscure. Yeah. Pretty Just, cool to get a Bowie track or to get yeah, you know, it's amazing and, and, and heads and you know whatever. And it is Emily Harris show. in the second episode yeah. as well. It's brilliant. Yeah. Stop. 
You said something really interesting there which takes me on to want to ask you about Amy if that's okay which was just so wonderful and just so powerful as well but you know in terms of those songs of Amy's that you used in that film and songs that we all know and we all sing along to and we all think we know and we have a meaning for them but after hearing those songs after they were in your film they took on a whole new level because they were I don't know they were explained in a way by that story that you told God, I feel like I'm welling up talking about it did you know her? I'd met her a couple of times through work, but I had a lot of friends who knew her. Um, God, Um, where did you start with it? So Amy came off the back of the previous film that I made called Senna. Which we'll talk about also. Right, which was my first doc. I'd made dramas before. I I made this film Senna, which I'm a bit of a sport fan, but I'm not really a Formula One guy. And I made this film, and that's where the style came from, the idea of thinking we don't need to have interviews and talking heads. We could just stay in the present and make this like a drama, but, but it's real. And it's like this new genre of kind of true fiction or whatever you want to call it. But I want to tell the story from his point of view. He's narrating the story. If you don't know the story, it's only at the end you realise he's not even around. But he was telling you about what he was thinking at the time. And when you do fiction, I feel as a writer or a director, I want to get ahead of the lead character. I don't want to confuse it by having loads of people's point of views. It's their story, their character, their journey, their rivalry. So the idea was with Amy to try to do the same thing. I got the opportunity to do it because there was somebody at Universal Music who loved Senna and had asked my producer, James Gay Reese, look, would you be interested in making a film about Amy Winehouse? I'd been offered a lot of sports films and I turned it all down Mm. after Senna. Amy, James, the producer, called me up and said, what do you think? And I was like, you know, there's always been something. I, I never met Amy. I never saw her live. I have her music. There's always something that bugged me about that story. There's something there. And I, I went away and I had a thing. I said, let me mull this one over. I'm a North London boy. I lived in Camden. I lived in Kentish Town. I lived in Primrose Hill. I was around there at the time when she was around. I didn't realise at the time how many of my friends knew her. And it was like the story was kind of interweaved with my own life. But I'm about 10 years older than Amy was. I just thought, I haven't made a film at home for a long time. I haven't made a film in London, about London, about everything I love about London. The creativity, the fact that you can be Jewish girl into hip hop, doing jazz. But also all the stuff I hate about the city and the culture and how we can destroy people and turn on them and the tabloid media. So I didn't know this at the time. I just had an instinct there was a story. So he started to make it. And I would spend, you know, going off at night, I'd play her music in the car, and I listened to Frank again, which I hadn't listened to for a long time. I thought, God, this is a great yeah. album. I've forgotten how great this is and how amazing and experimental it is at times. Attract me until it hurts to concentrate. Distract me. Stops me doing work I hate And just to show him how it feels I walk past his desk in heels One leg resting on the chair From the side he pulls my hair turning point really on Amy came at some point when I asked someone in the office can you just do me a favour can you just print out all of her lyrics and I just want to read them as a piece of writing because by then I'd spoken to a few people and done a few interviews and done a little bit of research 
And then suddenly I started reading lyrics. Oh my God, that's, I heard that story from this person and this story from this person. And everything she's written is actually a, it's like a page from a diary. This is all based on fact. This is all true. But done with her sense of humour. And I just thought the writing was incredible. And the thing about her voice and the music is that you can get carried away by, oh, she had a great voice. She sounded like a black woman. But actually the writing, my God, that's the hardest thing ever. And how personal it was. And it was just like, this is the way to get into her head. Because that was always the challenge. Amy gave a lot of mouthy interviews when she was young and in the latter period she hardly spoke as I was to learn she wasn't in a good place she didn't trust journalists but also she shut down literally as she got famous it felt like she hardly gave a good interview ever again but the lyrics spoke volumes and that was the idea we can use the lyrics to get into her head and understand her voice and understand the music and then suddenly I'm like my god this song's so much deeper and richer than anything I thought so then we started experimenting with well if we find the way to use the lyrics in the songs they will be the spine of the film in the center the races were the spine and they have to be character so I can't just put a hundred races in the center it'd be boring you know if you're into formula one you might love it but most people are probably not so the idea is each race has to push your story and your character forward and in the case of amy it's like each song has to push her life and the story forward to the next step so we're not going to be able to put them all in but we have to find a way to put the key songs in that are personal and emotional and then we have to find the right version of the song whether it's like the original recording or whether it's an acapella version or whether it's the recorded version and you know and they all suddenly meant something and and i have an amazing editor chris king who's very very brilliant with music and so it was this idea of using the lyrics and finding the original way she wrote it which may be different to the way she recorded it and finding the correct performance so you know how many thousand versions of back to black did i see but it's like well which is the right one he left no time to regret kept his dick away where his same old safe bag me and my head high and my tears dry get on without my Which is the right one of you know love is a losing game and then once you find it you go that's perfect how do we get there narratively we have we don't know yet but that was it it was like literally working out the spine of a movie and a life via her own work and then you're like i don't care what anyone else says she's telling her own story that was the key thing for you i was a flame love 
never listen to these songs the same way again because when people were dancing to rehab you're like you've misunderstood this song actually this song's about something else this is a cry for help yeah. in my opinion yeah try to make me go to rehab I said no 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 yes I've been black but when I'll come back you songs come on they hit you hard emotionally it's really tough god it just becomes more beautiful they're so layered but they're so accessible and everyone knows the words but no one listened but the idea was she was analog and then her life crossed into digital and i remember you know buying records and looking at the sleeves and reading the lyrics and knowing who played the sax and (laughs) where it was recorded and i thought i want this film to be a bit like that i want to know where it was recorded and i want to read the lyrics and when you read the lyrics on screen you suddenly understand the songs in a different way we experimented in different edits, taking the lyrics off the screen and putting them. And you go, you don't understand the filming suddenly. And my own kind of background is Indian. And I grew up watching lots of Indian movies. I'm not, I wasn't a huge fan necessarily, but my family watched them. They were musicals, okay? The songs are narrative in, in kind of Bollywoody films. And the idea was this was going to be a kind of Bollywood film. The songs are the story. If you took her songs out, the film doesn't make sense. And the idea of you have to understand when someone sings, that is them telling you the truth. In addition to Amy's yeah. music, Antonio's score in there as well, you're kind yeah. of like, it's just beautiful synergy. Quite hard. You know, we, we yeah, had a lot of conversations about how do you, what kind of music do you have? Does it have to be in the style of her music? Does it have to be jazzy? Like, 
no, then it's really interesting to step away and just have score. Mm-hmm. And Antonio, I worked with on Senna, and I've worked with on a few other things. And he's a great guy, and he lives in São Paulo, you know. So we didn't even get to meet on Amy. But then it's Antonio, it's Amy's music, it's then Chris King, the editor, and I working together to try to find a way to. Sometimes you just want the music to be emotional in its score, and sometimes it's a song where you want the audience to kind of tap their feet. Or other times you like pay attention to what she's saying. Mm. So it's just working out what you want to say at each beat, and you the music telling the story at every point, hopefully. Senna with Antonio and, and the way that you used tracks of his from previous films like Collateral and things like that, such a clever way of, of using his music w- within that framework. Yeah, so, so that was a really interesting story. So we were working on Senna here and then at some point Antonio heard we were making this film. Now he is from Sao Paulo, he's Brazilian, he loves Senna, he watched him race and he heard and he, he got in touch and I was like, oh, man, I don't know if we can afford you, you know, <laughs> I'd love you to do it. But yeah. we had a song, I was like, oh, this is like a low budget film, I don't know how, I don't even have got a film, we've just got this really long edit. <laughs> and you know, what I've done on previous films with Dario Marinelli, who I'd worked with, I said to Antonio, I said, look, why don't you just go away, have a think and just if you can, just come up with something. So I've got something to edit with because filmmaking is very political. Mm-hmm. You've, got to, you've got to kind of find a way to balance money, art and politics, okay? <laughs> it's always these different things. So I was like, if you come up with something great and we start editing with it, because I don't use temp score ever. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, when I'm working, I don't like putting in temp score. I like to know who the composer's going to be and as much as possible, I give them an early edit. And I was like, you write some music, even if, even if it's wrong or too long or not quite developed, we'll edit with your score and then we have time to develop it as the edit is changing. So I started that with my first features. Mm. And so I said it to Antonio, so he said, okay, let me go away. And he wrote a piece of music, which is the main theme of Senna, the opening music, the main Senna theme was written before he saw any of the film. It was purely from his memories of Senna racing. And it was like an eight minute cue with lots of movements, but it got really, really big.
one of my favourite bits of Senna is when he wins in Brazil for the first time. And there's a point after that he can't get out of the car. And then his dad is there and he's like, Dad, touch me, you know, hug me gently. That piece of music was written before he'd seen any of the film. But it was beautiful. And so Chris, the editor, and our previous editor, would take elements of the music, recut it, put it in, send him a new cut, and then he'd rework it and rework it. that's kind of how we worked on Amy as well quite a few of the themes were written before he'd seen much of the film but it was like just a simple piano mm. that opens the film very different because like for example Amy made a huge point on Frank of not wanting strings not really being a fan of strings and had a few fights with Mark Ronson on Back to Black as well not wanting strings but he Mm -hmm. put them on anyway and then she heard him and liked him but we had this long debate well should we have strings in the score or not (laughs) what would Amy say and you know but in the end it's like well you have to go with the emotion and what you're trying to say so we did but I I remember having that chat with Antonio about what would be the instrumentation that fits but what we didn't want it to jar or try to copy what she does Mm -hmm. she does what she does we have to do something that sits above it or below it Mark at all about yeah. musically how you would 
I mean, uh, that was interesting. Salam, Remy, and Mark, yeah. both of whom I interviewed and met, and who were amazing. At that point, Mark, funny, Mark was probably recording an album that's just come out. It was huge again because at that point he'd been a bit quiet for a while. Yeah. Um, and I met him and we talked, but really it was more specifically about what he was doing. I think at one point Salam got quite interested in being involved in the soundtrack because he'd done a few soundtracks and was really like, I, I think I could be doing a soundtrack. Um, and I quite like to just separate it from people who are in the story. Yeah. It gets a bit muddy. Although it would have been amazing to do a soundtrack with Salam. But you know, I'm a huge Nas fan and all <laughs> the people, Lauren Hill, and all these people like, yeah. in that studio, in his house, in Miami, and I'm standing there going, Unreal, and that's where Amy <laughs> recorded most yeah. of her tracks with him. So anyway, yeah, in the end, it was like, no, I, I quite like the music to be one element. That's another way of telling the story, and it should be separate. What's interesting as well is that you you've got this long-standing relationship with Dario, who you mentioned way back to you know your shorts and mm -hmm. things as well. How did that? relationship start so it's really interesting because I have kind of grew up with lots of music love music but cannot play music didn't really understand it didn't understand the language of music so when I started doing my short films you know I came from the background of being at film school you just get a record from your record collection you say I like this piece of music and you put it in your film and then you go well it kind of works here but it doesn't work here and I didn't know anything about working with composers and it wasn't until my graduation film at the Royal College of Art called The Sheep Thief where somebody my sound designer had said you, you, you need a composer and really interestingly enough he recommended one person who right at the last minute cancelled mm -hmm. and then the backup was this guy who was you know at the National and went to the Royal College of Music called Darren Marinelli who at that point maybe had done one soundtrack for a film not many and I met him and he used to live in Highbury I used to go to his house and he had a studio and what I found is oh right I think maybe I can do this because once you work on music on a film it's on the computer and you can see it and I'm quite visual mm -hmm. I'm not musical but I'm visual so seeing the tracks and going what's that what's that and they go well that's you know whichever instrument it may be and I'm like what's go, go back a bit what's that bit I'm hearing that bit there and then can pick out the instrument or pick out the little note and go I don't like that it's too big bring yeah. that down and it, once I could see it I felt like I could communicate with a composer and try to work with the soundtrack so Dario did The Sheep Thief um, which is my student film which yeah. kind of won a prize in Cannes mm -hmm. and then we did The Warrior, Warrior together yeah. and we've done a few features together He was amazing and he was always like this guy is incredible and very good at emotions and he yeah. wants to move people and I want to move people you know he's not one type of composer like if you think about uh, Atonement and then V for Vendetta and then Kubo and Two which was stunning everything about that that animation I love. He's really smart. I mean, and also, you know, he was fully formed. When I met him, you're like, you know, this guy's brilliant. Yeah. 
this guy is really amazing, really wonderful heart. He, he got me straight away by saying, are you hungry? I'm like, well, let's go and have some food. So then he went over, <laughs> while he's working on the music, he knocked up some pasta. I'm like, this is a thing, isn't it? You know how to get a director's heart. <laughs> so he knocked up some amazing food just while we were chatting, because he's Italian, and he's from Florence, you know. Way too so much. <laughs> really cultured, really smart, and brilliant at his job. And so we've kind of got this long-standing relationship, and then he's worked with lots of friends of mine who I recommended. So... Yeah, he's brilliant, and he continues to be brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, I've been, I've been really lucky. I've worked with some really amazing composers. Hunter, you know, everyone can see it now. We've heard Mr. Fincher say there's going to be a season two, which was great because then he also talked about the music and how that's going to progress and kind of Atlanta, that whole soundscape from sort of 79, 81 be the kind of tone. Will you be involved? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be removed from the app, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Well, my Deep privileges friendly. go. <laughs> yeah. Your I app mean, privileges. I hope it's a good time I'm allowed to do press. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I hope so. I mean, it's always a question of where the show's going to go when it goes timing yeah. what I might be up to but I'd love to do because I want to know what happens Me I want to know what happens to these characters and you know it's really I haven't done TV before so this is all new and to be lucky enough to kind of come in on David's series and crew amazing the cast were amazing you know it's a pretty big production mm. a number of sets in Pittsburgh never been to Pittsburgh great city really amazing yeah. place so I don't know I don't know what's going to happen but I, I hope they ask me thank you so much for your time it's great to chat to you thanks a lot cheers good to talk to you you should be stronger than me you've been here seven years longer than me don't you know you're supposed to be the man now pay
Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Asif Kapadia. My huge thanks to Asif for taking the time to talk to us. The fabulous Mindhunter is available via Netflix, with the BAFTA winning Senna and Amy well worth seeking out as well. Speaking of which, if you're listening to this before 12 noon on Friday the 16th of February, you can vote for your favourite EE Rising star by heading to ee.co.uk forward slash BAFTA. Be sure to listen to our chat with all five of the nominees first, if you haven't already. Soundtracking in partnership with the EE BAFTAs. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and do keep spreading the word for us. Next week, we head to the world of Marvel and the team behind the fabulous Black Panther, director Ryan Coogler and producer Nate Moore. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.